0: Switch to Metro by T-Mobile and save more. Get the new iPhone SE, now with 5G, at the lowest price in prepaid, just 99
1: dollars I post a lot, and thanks to the iPhone SE with 5G and advanced 4K camera, I'm snapping and sharing while my followers are smashing the like button.
0: Switch and get the iPhone SE for just 99 dollars only at Metro save
2: more versus national
0: prepaid brands limited time offer in store only price for 64 gigabyte model with eligible port 60 dollar plan and id see 5g device coverage and access details at metro by t-mobile.com
2: how did we become central ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts we focus on what matters most our patients at orthopedic one we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio online, online. with bill alexander,
1: bill alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William, Eric, Alexander, all my friends. Call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.fm and also on WLDJFM 107.5 and RadioRehoboth.com at 99.1 FM and MTRI, Mixtape Radio International, around the world, round the clock. MTRI.co.uk. So it is a Monday evening. Hope everything's going fine for you wherever you may be you're in the united states or if you're in the uk glad you could be part of the show this evening slight uh, mess up on my part in the beginning but we got that all straightened out (laughs) and if you were listening to um, SteelFM.org on friday they were the ones having the issues not me just to let you guys know that it uh but that was all straightened out on their end but anyhow tonight i have a guest on the program and the performer i have this evening actually is um He's a music writer. He writes music. And some of the stuff you probably have heard before, but you probably didn't realize it. And tonight I'm going to share some of it with you as I talk with him. And this one right here, which I love this song in the United States is described as a one-hit wonder. He may not like that, but that's what they're describing it as. Following his 1977 hit song, Ariel, which was reached number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, stayed in the chart for five months. The American Top 40 ranked it as the 87th biggest hit of 1977 on the Cashbox Top 100 it reached number 17 and Canada the song reached number 19. Let me play a little bit of the song for you and refresh your memory.
2: Way on the other side of the Hudson, deep in the bosom of suburbia, I met a young Tears on my pillow at Ave Maria Standing by the waterfall in Paramus Park She was working for the Friends of BAI. She was collecting the waters in a paper cup She was looking for change And so was I She was a Jewish girl I fell in love with her She wrote her number on the back of my hand called her up, I was all out of breath, I said, come hear me play in the rock and roll band. I took a shower and I put on my best blue jeans, I picked her up in my new VW van, she wore a peasant blouse with nothing underneath, I said, hi, she said, yeah, I guess I am.
1: On the phone right now, I have Dean Friedman. Dean, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, Bill. How's it going? Uh, it's doing real well. I love this song. <laughs> it. The best part is, I was listening to the radio probably about a year ago, and I was listening to satellite radio, and this song came up from out of nowhere, and I'm going, I remember it, but I don't remember it very well. So... I listened to it and then started doing some research about who you were at the time. And I'm going, wow, this guy has written a lot of music. Unfortunately <laughs> he's known more overseas than he is in the United States. For whatever reason.
3: Yeah. It's a puzzle to me, but, uh, I, I, listen, I I'm just pleased that anyone listens to the music <laughs> anywhere on the planet.
1: Well, and, and the unique thing is, is I actually have two radio stations that I u- I, um, I work with in the united kingdom i have one uh, called steelfm.org in scunthorpe and i have another one which is mtri mixtape radio international which is in somerset so the people that are listening to you live tonight know who you are which is fantastic hi folks (laughs) Uh, (laughs) unfortunately you were supposed to be there this past spring but the whole covid epidemic or pandemic has kept you away from touring so how are you keeping yourself busy
3: uh, well, um, it, 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 indeed, I was actually scheduled to board a plane uh, today to fly over and and kick off the second leg of my UK tour. Um, but the whole twenty twenty tour dates were cancelled, right? Uh, and rescheduled to next year. So what I found myself doing was suddenly, uh, I guess, what doing what. Uh, so many other musicians and artists and uh, people in all walks of life are doing which is that I started streaming to my listening audience uh from my basement studio okay and uh, I do it once a week on Sundays uh 3 p.m eastern which is 8 p.m in London uh and 12 noon on the west coast and uh it's been a lot of fun it's been a real learning experience and uh uh, I've been, uh, I guess, doing what you do in front of, uh, of a camera and uh, streaming it to Facebook and YouTube and uh, inviting guests, musician friends, and uh, performers that I know and that I've worked with over the years so, and sort of sharing my audience
1: uh,
3: on my Dean zine.
1: So have have people rediscovered you again because you're actually sharing it on Facebook Um, or is it just that that audience that that has seen you in concert multiple times? Do you have an idea who is actually watching you now?
3: Well, there's there's a core audience from when I started uh, recording and and performing. And uh, over the years, uh, that continues to grow. And I think people are are continuing to bump into my music and discover stuff. That, that might not have heard or that they heard of once or twice and, and weren't sure uh, what its origin was. And uh, so, yeah, we welcome everyone.
1: <laughs> so do you like that, dis- that descriptor called a one hit wonder? Um, because in the United States, you are known for one song and that is Ariel.
3: Uh,
1: well, I'll tell you
3: what, it uh, I understand why people use the reference, um, although in my case it's not entirely accurate because I've had you know chart hits in different countries all right. over the world, different songs. So I'm I'm sort of a multi one hit wonder, uh, if that's a category. Uh, but I always found uh, the term uh, dismissive of artists uh, because it's got a disparaging. Annotation: as if the artist wasn't capable of having another hit right when in, in fact in, in 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 almost every case i would say uh it's really uh uh, uh something that condemns the music industry itself which is a, a business that eats its young and more <laughs> often than not if, if an artist is not fortunate enough to have a, a follow-up hit it's because someone in the record business uh is uh, taking such advantage of that artist that it, it makes it impossible for them to to thrive, uh, and uh, you know, so it, it really, the term "one-hit wonder" is something I have always believed to be an indictment of the okay. abusive
1: business, which which makes a lot of sense because you look at some of the songs you had, and one I and I'm I'm going to apologize because I only know it as a commercial. Um, which is um, my McDonald's girl? Which I'm uh-huh. going. I'm going. Wait a minute! I know this song, and then I read through the the bio going, wait, he wrote that, and someone else performed it for the McDonald's commercial. But the funny thing is that song wasn't allowed to be pl- wouldn't be played in the UK because it mentions McDonald's, and then years later, McDonald's actually bought the rights to the song.
3: Uh, It was a strange, circuitous route. It was a little pop song that insisted on being heard. Uh, It's one of those songs where uh, when I wrote it, I thought, well, this is a pure pop song, and and this should do well. I think people will like it. And uh, because of the nature of uh, British radio at the time, it's essentially government-controlled national radio, the BBC, the British broadcasting system. And they had very strict rules about anything that would... A smack of being a commercial. Ah. So anything that had you know commercial connotations, they they would not air it. So McDonald's Girl was officially banned by the BBC for mentioning a commercial trade name of a fast food restaurant. They were afraid millions of people immediately upon hearing my song would rush out to McDonald's <laughs> and order a hamburger. Uh, whereas I I stressed that in the lyric I never actually eat the hamburger. I, I always thought it could be more of a public service announcement. Gotcha. But be that as it may, uh, it it was frustrating when it was banned because I really believed in the song. But over the years, it, that song insisted on being heard, and so uh, first a, a band out of Canada with the unlikely name of Bare Naked Ladies yes. uh, did a cover version of it, which was uh, one of their first airplay hits in, in Toronto, um, and helped launch the band. And. Uh, then uh, another band called The Blenders had a number one record with it in Norway. Uh, and, uh, and then years later, finally, I got a phone call from corporate headquarters at McDonald's and uh, asking me uh, if uh, I would license the song for a national TV and radio campaign. Uh, and I did. And uh, I was, uh, The Blenders uh, performed it. I was real proud of it. And, uh, and that's how you heard the song.
1: That's, that, that's what I think is amazing. I'm thinking, of course he, he signed it over to McDonald's. Just think of the money he was going to make on it. But, but that's what I think is unique about your songs, is that every song that I've listened to that you've done, they all tell a story. And when you talk about, when you do Ariel, you're talking about this meeting this young Jewish girl who's free-spirited, and you're basically giving me a, a day in your life with the song, which is so unique.
3: Well, you know what? When I started out writing songs, I uh, was very much influenced by the singer-songwriters who told stories. Okay. Uh, uh, Folks like uh, Joni Mitchell and and Paul Simon and James Taylor and Randy Newman, Uh, they, they painted pictures with their words and music, almost of a cinematic variety, you know, quality that... Uh, you could imagine this, this, the sequence, the scene that was being depicted in the song. And, uh, that always transports the listener and makes them part of the song. That's how I see it. So when I started writing, I, I really uh, aspired to do what they did, which is to create this, uh, transformative, uh, journey. Uh, as you listen to the song and the story being told, uh, and I still try to do that to this day.
1: So, when you wrote "Ariel," did is is that the first song that you've actually had success with, or is that the first song you had commercial success with?
3: "Ariel" was the first single off of my very first album. Okay, uh, and it, it went uh, top twenty right out of the box, and uh, um. In fact, they 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 called me into the office because they were afraid that I had was having all my friends uh, make requests <laughs> at the radio stations. And I had to assure them that I didn't have that many friends <laughs> and that it was and then they finally it dawned on them that they had a hit record. On right. Their hands.
1: Well, I do. I do a um a classic music program on a station outside of Pittsburgh. And I had them put it back in rotation again because I think it's a great song. Because, so you'll get a few pennies for that one whenever the royalty rights come through. Um, Much
3: obliged. I, I appreciate that. Uh,
1: but what's so unique about your music is, like I said, you do tell stories. And when you wrote, Ariel, is it actually about your life or are you just taking things that happened to you and put them into a song that could happen to anybody?
3: Well, you know, it, it kind of... Uh... You know, people ask, was there an aerial? It was sort of an amalgam, uh, a combination of all these teenage girls I had a crush on growing up okay. as a teenager in the suburbs of New Jersey. And uh, so I kind of imagined her. And uh, and uh, at first I was self-conscious because there's not much of a plot. Not, there's not much happens. He meets her. Gets a number, they go on a date, and then they wind up making out in front of the TV set.
1: Right. Well, don't forget, uh, you go to Dairy Queen. You're in a uh, and, and trust me, guys, guys my age uh, uh, are are more worried about the the uh, the new VW van that you have. So, that, <laughs> I'm a VW collector. That's why I say that. Did you actually cool. have your own VW bus?
3: I didn't, but my good friend and roommate at the time, okay. Brett uh i had a vw bus bus and we tooled around uh, <laughs>
1: the bronx in it because that and, that, uh, that that right there when you say that i can imagine you going to dq finding out that she doesn't eat meat with onion rings and p- eating a pickle and going through the whole thing and playing at the um oh playing well you're playing at the fire hall for the uh uh, uh, forget the the, who the group DW was. Hall, yeah, yeah the legion <laughs> and i'm thinking going yeah i can imagine that 1977 now i was only 11 in 77 but i can imagine that so i i find i find your music very um it's very innocent for the most part especially that one uh mcdonald's girls and some of the other stuff have you written what it got you into writing music
3: well, my mom was a, a singer and uh, a performer, so I really I just grew up in a house that was filled with music, okay, so music was always going to be something you know one of the things that I did uh, but in as a teenager the first time I got paid to play a coffee house, even though it was like ten bucks, I thought, "Wow, this is a great. I get to play my guitar and sing and have fun on stage and they pay me I, I can see doing this so uh and pretty much that's what i've been doing ever since
1: so did it did it bother you when you that that your career in the u.s basically stalled but overseas uk germany and those places they actually were listening to your music did you feel the need that you should instead of being here you should actually move over there to be where that's actually happening
3: well, it was strange, but like I say, I was uh, grateful that anyone was listening to the, the songs anywhere on the planet. <laughs> okay. Uh, but to answer your question at the time, there were very strict quarantine laws in regards to animals and, and particularly like pets, dogs okay. and cats. Okay. And... Uh, you know, I had a dog Barker, and another my young lady who became my wife had a dog Jesse. So the two of us moved in together, and uh, because we couldn't bring the dogs into the UK, it meant that I wound up only touring there for brief periods of time. So I, I never moved there. Although finally in 1998 we did spend a, a year in the UK. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, it's just business and politics. And so, for whatever reason, I, uh, uh, I I had a little more access to radio uh, over in England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales, and uh, there was a, an audience that that grew. And I've been getting on a plane up until this <laughs> yeah. last year, uh, going over there and touring
1: all over the country and, uh, and, and enjoying
3: it very much. They're nice
1: folks. So, with what's going on, being in quarantine for the last, since March, what, five months, six months? Um, actually, five months. But being in quarantine, are you writing new music now?
3: I am. Uh, yes. And it's not something I typically do on the road, although I'll come up with bits and pieces and little snippets of songs on the road, and then I try to write them down or record them so I don't forget them. But being home and... Uh, spending all the time that i do in my studio downstairs it is afforded me more of an opportunity to write than i normally do the truth is, is that I, i'm i'm not someone who writes every day i tend to write to a deadline so okay. you know once i make a commitment to record an album and deliver it within a certain time frame that's the impetus for me to sort of finally buckle down and get the job done And, uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, I'm always fooling around on my guitar or piano or ukulele. And it's just music is uh, something that I enjoy doing, but to actually do the work of writing a song. Well, that takes a little more motivation.
1: I was going to say, the last time I heard a ukulele hit was Tiny Tim and Tiny Bubbles. But anyhow, or not Tiny Bubbles, but Tiptoe Through the Tulips. So it's like... Well, uh, he was great. uh, So when you write new music, are you writing in a certain style? Are you writing it, um, say, of what that that classic genre of the 70s would be? Or is your music evolving um, with the way music goes
3: well i think anyone that is familiar with my albums as opposed to just my singles would probably agree that my styles my style is very eclectic i i I work in a lot of genres on any of my albums you'll find rock pop folk country jazz it really runs the gamut uh, and I'm always listening to what's going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think although the styles might change and the idioms might change that common thread is what you asked about earlier, which is that I, 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 I tell stories. I always kind of think of myself as someone who writes short stories and then sets them to music.
1: Um, one of the things I I, I was noticing um, when I was reading up on you is that you were you've actually done work for TVs in commercials. You've done stuff for T uh, not only commercials but TV programs, and also you uh, wrote a soundtrack for a movie. I bought a vampire motorcycle.
3: Indeed. <laughs> Uh, It was a killer motorcycle, uh, and the title track was She Runs on Blood, Not Gasoline.
1: Is that song available anywhere? Because I was looking for it and cannot find it. Uh,
3: It might (laughs) be on uh, my Dino's demos, but you can actually rent or buy uh, I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle. It might be on Amazon Okay, uh, now that I think of it.
1: I'll have to look that up because I'm going, that's a really unique title for a... a, uh, For a cult classic there, uh, which I think is really interesting. And you also wrote um, stuff for uh, where I just lost my notes here Um, for uh, TV that uh, people would actually be familiar with other than with um, your movie itself. You wrote stuff with uh, Nick Arcade for Nickelodeon, Erie, Indiana on NBC and, uh, again, your soundtrack. So what did you do for Erie, Indiana? Uh,
3: well, uh, I wrote a couple of uh, a silly songs that were sort of sung in the context okay. of the show. Uh, one of them uh, was Ray Walston, was the, uh, the, the leader of the Loyal Order of Corn. <laughs> uh, they were like a, you know, like yes. a voluntary ambulance. where They were like a lodge. Like the Elks. Yes. Uh, so I wrote a song for them. Uh, Hark the ears of splendor. I forget what I. But, uh, and they all sang that on the show. And I wrote another uh, for an episode called Foreverware, uh, where uh, a f- family tucks their children in, in to bed every night, but it's a big, giant uh, bed of Tupperware, sort of, foreverware it's called. And it it, uh, it uh, keeps them well-preserved so that they live a, a long life and remain children. Okay. So I wrote, uh, Foreverware, for wives and mothers everywhere. Our goal has always been to keep the freshness in forever, foreverware. Anyway, it was a bunch of goofy stuff. And uh, uh, my brother-in-law was... Producing the show, and uh, he brought me in to do a couple of uh, funny little themes for it.
1: And what was Nick Arcade on Nickelodeon?
3: Well, in the late eighties, early nineties, I was working with some of the very early uh, camera-based virtual reality. Okay, uh, and and I designed a video game for Nickelodeon Edibu- for uh, Nickelodeon called Eatabug. Kids would jump up and down in front of a video camera eating bugs, sort of uh, like what today we know of as the Kinect. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Xbox or or the Wii. Oh,
1: you okay? Uh, where
3: you see yourself on camera and you. you move around and you can interact with those objects. Well, I did that for Nickelodeon in 1989, uh, almost two decades before the Kinect box came out. Okay. And uh, I did a bunch of games for Nickelodeon. Subsequently, the uh, uh, show called Nick Arcade. Uh, And then from that, began doing uh, interactive exhibits and virtual reality video games and environments for children's museums and science museums all over the world. So do you still do that? You know, I haven't done it in in a long time. Uh, I I sort of just got back to doing my music. It was fun exciting. It paid bills for a long while. It was a little bit ahead of its time. To tell you the
1: truth I, I think that's fascinating because uh, being able to do something like that and and now looking at where the technology has gone, knowing that you were on the ground floor actually getting it started or getting it acceptable in today's society um, which I think is kind of cool so when you when you talk about um, when you talk about the music that you've done in the past uh, which you have how many albums that you have released?
3: Well, I, I, I think I've got eight studio albums and one compilation album. Okay. Uh, and maybe a couple of live albums out there somewhere.
1: Now, the, a couple of the albums that I'm familiar with, you did uh, one called Songs for Grownups, which was unique, which was done in 98, which has the song Hell uh, Bop She Bop, which I think is a great song. Thank you. And uh, you did another one called Squirrels in an Attic in 2005, which, uh, or not 2000, yeah, 2005, um, yeah. where you're doing uh, I Miss Mon- uh, Miss Monica, uh, <laughs> which I'm going, that's really timely if you go back four years ago, which I think is really interesting because it's dealing with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, which is a great song. Now, my question for you is, do you like doing satire like that? Cause I would consider that political satire.
3: I, like I said, do all kinds of music and, uh, there's always a touch of humor, uh, and some of it's satire. Some of it's just goofy and silly. And, uh, you know, I actually had spent a summer uh, performing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, uh, which I do every year except for this, this year, year, sadly, because uh, it's been canceled uh, till next year, and hopefully everything will open up nice and safe. But uh, when I first performed at the Fringe, I was really uh, taken by all the great comics and stand-up that folks that were really pushing the. Edge of the envelope and telling not just jokes but hilarious stories and tales and uh, there there was always a comedy song on one of my albums but seeing all these great comedians really inspired me to try and do a, a an all comedy album and so that's what I did in 2005 is I, I just wrote a bunch of ridiculous songs trying to make people laugh and uh, titled it Squirrels in the Attic. <laughs> And it was really well received. In particular, uh, I Miss Monica, which was won the uh, People's Choice Award for Huffington Post. Really? At the did time. it
1: really? I did not know that.
3: Yeah, it did. <laughs> I did. Won, I won a cash prize. That is that is, that is
1: kinda, that's kind of that's kind of fun, actually. Um, so when you when you look at these albums and when you perform in concerts, do people want to hear your old stuff? Do they want to hear your relatively new stuff or is it a mixture of everything?
3: Uh, You know, it's a mixture of everything. Uh, There's no question that most folks enjoy hearing uh, the most popular songs, the hits, so to speak. Right. But anyone familiar with the albums, they have their own personal hits and favorites in mind that might never have received any airplay, Uh, but that they expect to hear at a Dean Friedman concert. Right. And so I try to mix it up with, with... you know those familiar tunes and fan favorites uh, as well as new stuff because you know i I haven't stopped writing and (laughs) uh i'm I'm working on a new album as we speak
1: Uh, dean we got to step away for a brief moment and then we'll come back with more conversation online with bill alexander we will have dean friedman on the phone right now we'll be back in just a few moments again here online with bill alexander Is on WMCK.FM McKeesport, Mixtape Radio International at MTRI.CO.UK, 991 Radial Awakens.EU, SteelFM.org, and 107.5 FM, WLDJ Newcastle. I am just
2: McDonald's girl. She has a smile. Tender and warm. I am in love with McDonald's girl. She is an angel in a polyester uniform. I leave in softball practice every night. It's getting dark but the golden arches light up the way. I turn the corner at the traffic light. I count my money in, and then I rehearse what I'm gonna
1: On the phone right now, we have Dean Friedman and, of course, McDonald's Girl, which uh, I I don't think I ever heard the term polyester uniform ever in a song before. I think that's honestly the first time that uh, I've ever heard that, Uh, (laughs) which is Well, I'll tell you what's funny,
3: Bill, is that when I licensed that track to the McDonald's Corporation, they asked me to change it. And so I agreed and I changed it just for the commercial to uh, she's now... An angel in a golden arches uniform. Apparently they have issues with polyester. What can I tell
1: you? I'm trying to think, do they still wear the brown polyester suit? But again, your song, uh, the commercial I saw it for was selling coffee, because I remember that when the older lady would come up and not the girl that everybody thought he was Uh singing about. But uh, again, it's a great song. It really is. Now, do you have an issue? I mean, McDonald's bought the rights to use it in their commercials, but you can play it anywhere you want, right? Oh yeah, they
3: just licensed it. They, they okay. didn't buy it.
1: Okay. Um Have any of your other songs been used in commercials in any way, shape, or form? Uh,
3: well, um. You know what? In my uh, innocent youth, I did like a couple of radio commercials, at, but it's so long ago I can't even okay. remember.
1: Because I I find that interesting because a lot of guys and I've spoke to musicians before, other musicians who whenever they have um, a career years later, when they, when they come back out or they keep on busy, that's what they're writing is they're writing jingles for TV and, and, uh, for commercials and for TV programs. And I was just curious, since you've done what you have, if you've done any more than just the one that McDonald's used.
3: Well, you know, I've done TV soundtracks and, uh, occasional film license piece or soundtrack. And, uh, Uh, I did sing on – one summer I sang uh, on uh, the Crazy Eddie commercial. (laughs) Oh, when you think you're ready, come on down to Crazy Eddie. (laughs) And that
1: was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, And how much did that pay? Uh, (laughs) Uh, Well, I didn't write it. I just sang it. Okay. Uh, So whenever you broke into the business in the 70s, how difficult was it to break in?
3: Well, I I, I think that – the nature of the music business is that it's always difficult to break in, but like any business, it really comes down to uh, personal connections. I was fortunate enough to be introduced to folks who ran a nightclub. Uh, they took me to a label, the label offered me a, a deal. Uh, you know, once I was uh, assigned to management, it happened relatively quickly. <clears throat> but having said that, even though it looked like it was an overnight success, I had been sending out demos since I was fifteen years old. Okay. So, from my perspective, it it seemed like it was taken forever when it finally did happen, and I, you know, I had a chart record uh, and started touring all over the world and, and doing TV and radio. So uh, it it was exciting, but like I say, I was uh, had been waiting for it for a while.
1: So, um, who was your first record label that you signed with?
3: Uh, a little independent label called Life Song Records that jim croce uh put on the map uh, and uh so uh I did two albums with them, then we had a a falling out as you do in the music business and uh i <clears throat> excuse me I did one album with uh, epic uh what is now sony and uh another indie label. And since then I've been crowdfunding my albums, doing them independently on my own label, Real Life Records. And I've done that for several decades now.
1: And that's what I was going to ask you with the whole idea of crowdfunding and producing your own music. Do you like doing that because it gives you more control than having somebody in a studio with you saying, no, nah, we don't like it, do it again this way or, or whatever?
3: Uh, well, uh, I, I, I do indeed. I mean, I made more money selling uh, my first thousand uh, crowdfunded CDs than I did selling a million records in the, in the conventional music business. It's just the way they treat and abuse artists, just the way royalties are structured uh, and, you know, with onerous contracts. So to be independent and to get funding from the, the, the people who actually listen to the music is uh, is, is not a bad alternative. Uh, You know, if a label offered a million bucks, I might have to think about it. But short of that, it's just a a lot less headache uh, being able to do it independently and, and for the people who actually
1: care about hearing the music. So have you ever thought, and I mean, I wouldn't because you can't mess with perfection, but have you ever thought of redoing Ariel? and doing it, um, <laughs> I mean, because you can't, I mean, the song's great the way it is. But have you thought about updating it or just doing it as an acoustical version of whatever you may do? Because you see so many performers doing that that are trying to capitalize on those few hits that they have and then trying to move it up to the present day. And unfortunately, it doesn't work very well.
3: Well, you know what? I I, I guess I'm too busy doing new stuff. Okay. Uh, and I performed all those songs when I tour. So I don't have a, 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 any particular urge to, to reinvent them. Uh, although folks, some folks ha- have asked me it, 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 if I would do a sequel to Ariel. Um, so that's worth considering. But in the meantime, uh, I've pretty got much a, a full plate what, take, what, catching up with the things that I'm what, responsible what would for the now.
1: Sequel, what would the sequel, sequel be? <laughs>
3: Well, that's a good question. I guess I'll have to think about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I understand that uh you had a song that someone thought that you wrote about them and their or their mother and actually uh came at you with their version of the song um uh in the and you actually did a uh a comeback to him um that was dealing with oh why can't I name find the name of the song it's in my notes. Um, I think
3: you might be referring to uh, a, a band in England called Half Man, Half Biscuit. That's uh, it. There
1: it is. It's right that, in front of me right now. The, an
3: acclaimed uh, <laughs> a punk band from the UK. And uh, one summer they came out with a best-selling EP and the track on it was titled The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman, (laughs) Uh, which took me by surprise. Uh, Did they pay you uh, for it? That's my question. No, no, they didn't need to. Um, It was when I sat down and and listened to it, and and I just cracked up because it it, it was really hilarious and well-written. Nigel Blackwell, he's the lead singer and writer for Half Man, Half Biscuit. Um, Um, And uh, I finally did the math and calculated that uh, in order for me to have fathered him, uh, I would have had to done so when I was seven years old. So
1: I'm sure that was um, news to your wife too. I mean, that would have uh... it, it was it, it was
3: a little surprise to everybody. But I got him back because uh, I, I I wrote my uh, re- response. Uh, it's called A Baker's Tale, and it tells the, uh, of the dubious origins of one Nigel Blackwell, the lead singer and songwriter for Half Man Half Biscuit. And uh, I actually got to play it uh, at one of their gigs for their audience. And uh, by the end of the (laughs) the night, everyone was singing the chorus.
1: That's funny. At the
3: top of their lungs. It was a lot of fun. Um,
1: So a lot of your music, because you mentioned performers, uh, has a lot of your stuff been covered by other groups?
3: Well, I can't say I've had a lot of covers. um, But the ones that uh, I hear, I always enjoy. And there are, uh, you know, fans and listeners all over the internet that have covered my material. And uh, I, I always get a kick out of it. So it's a, it's always fun to hear someone else's interpretation of one of my songs. And it always sounds good to me to hear it in a a different way.
1: Now, when the, what was the flip side of Ariel?
3: Uh, I think it was funny papers, but I I can't say for sure
1: because I'm looking might have been funny I'm looking at a, a chart and these are the chart singles that you had back then and Ariel, and then Woman of Mine which I also think is a great song which charted in the UK and then you had Lucky Stars in 78 which charted in Australia, UK and New Zealand and then Lydia which was in thir- which charted in the UK and also in um let's see where do I have you charting at but anyway you charted you charted um, in the Dutch market, in the Netherlands, that's it. So, when these hit, how did you get word that they charted overseas?
3: Well, these were the days of Telex, Bill. <laughs> so, we'd get a Telex, and the, the news will trickle down to me eventually. And uh, it, was, it was a fun, exciting time, but there were all the normal frustrations of being an artist in the music business. Did... And I was painfully aware of all the shortcomings of the, right. of the, of the folks around me, which uh, made it a little less fun. But uh, I got to do music and I, I continue to get to do music to this day.
1: Did the record companies, were they happy with you that you were at least you were charting somewhere, even though it may not have been the United States?
3: Uh, well, they should have been. I kept having hit records that just weren't paying me very much. That's what I finally, ah. That's why I finally left.
1: Now, do you think you would have been further ahead if you could have crowdsourced your album in 1977?
3: What a brilliant uh, move that would have been, yes, (laughs) is the answer. Uh, But uh, it wasn't until Marillion, uh, I think, are acknowledged as the first band, the first uh, music recording artist act. that crowdfunded a music project, and that, that, that happened about 2001. And uh, as far as I know, I I was at least one of the very first solo artists to do the same thing, which was uh, that same year, a few months later. And that was my uh, Treehouse Journals album. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote an email to everyone who had visited my website, joined the mailing list and said, i got a bunch of songs. I'd like to start a new album. I just need to upgrade my studio and pay musicians. So if you help me finance it. Then, um, uh, I'll get started and uh I was afraid most people would say, "Dean wants you to get a proper job <laughs> <clears throat> and some people did, but uh, enough people supported the effort, and uh, I was able to do it and that's how I've financed my albums ever since
1: so with with um online shopping now through Amazon and stuff like that. Um, are you noticing, are you able to track your sales? Are you noticing um, more sales still coming out of the UK? Or are you seeing sales pretty much distributed evenly all over the world?
3: Well, I, I've, I've always gotten more airplay in the UK and Ireland uh, and parts of Europe. But, uh, you know, I still have a very enthusiastic fan base in here in the United States. And I hope some of your listeners are, are among them. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I like I say, I'm happy to get up on stage anywhere uh, and share my music with uh, an enthusiastic audience. Uh, that's one of the frustrations of this pandemic, among many others, uh, that I don't get to do that. But, uh, I've been satisfying some of those urges by doing my weekly web- webcast, my live stream, the Dean Dean live stream, every Sunday. Uh, At 3 p.m. on the East Coast, and uh, I think that would be 1 p.m. Mountain. Okay. (laughs) 12 noon uh, Pacific, and 8 p.m. in the UK.
1: So you also, in 2007, you did a kid's song album, Music for Children. What is different for writing music for kids than writing for adults? Well, I I
3: think the main difference is that when I'm writing for adults, I try to practice a measure of restraint when it comes to my inclination to be silly. Okay. Whereas when I'm writing for children, I practice no restraint. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I I can be as, I let myself be as silly as I can like and the kids seem to enjoy that a lot and i get a kick out of it too
1: now did your kids enjoy it when you wrote it
3: uh yeah i think they uh uh you know grew up in a nourishing uh environment filled with music and lots of animals and uh certainly i don't think it hurt them and in fact point of fact they both work in the entertainment business. So, uh, I'd say it, it might've, uh, been a good I- influence at the end of the day.
1: So what do they do in the entertainment business?
3: Uh, well, um, one of them, well, they both work in TV and, uh, and music and, uh, and one of them works, uh, as well, uh, in the realm of video games. Okay. And, uh, so uh, yeah, they keep busy. They're well, and it's just frustrating because they're out on the west coast. So uh, to figure out how to visit them, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's, that's a
1: lot of Zoom phone calls and FaceTime and stuff like that in this day and age. That's unfortunately, um, so I find it really interesting um, talking to you this evening. That you seem really down to earth, and you seem very open to answer anything that I have asked. Is, so my question to you is, is there anything I haven't asked that you've always wanted someone to ask you about your career? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it was easy. I'm done. Uh-
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've had an eclectic career. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I've got the chance to do all kinds of different things things uh there was always there was always some musical component to it right and uh, that's what made it all familiar
1: and that uh, that that's really that's really amazing so the other question i have for you before i let you leave tonight is that when you perform your music when you do studio you actually have a studio band backing you or are you doing everything yourself
3: well it depends i mean i uh, I do a lot of the tracking myself in my home studio uh, and then when it's necessary and called for i'll I'll bring in you know my musician friends in the area or even you know remotely okay uh to you know, do whatever overdub and colors are called for given that particular track
1: so. When you um uh, do a lot of this um, and, and performing and, and writing new music, you're doing pretty much the writing and the composing yourself, right? You're not collaborating with anybody?
3: Uh, I've co-written a few songs, but mostly what I do is sort of idiosyncratic, I guess okay. I'd say, and
1: uh, I, I tend to write myself. So the new album you're working on, anything um... – that's close to done yet that you may release as a single first or perform in your program?
3: Uh, I've performed some new stuff on, uh, my Dean zine live stream. Uh, it's, uh, some of it's still a work in process because it it still evolves until I finally commit it to an album. But the truth is, even after I've recorded an album and, and released a song, uh, every time I perform it it changes okay So you know, the melodies change uh, even the chords change and even the words can change over the years I, I don't always think exactly sometimes a lyric will re- evolve or I'll find a a, a, a word that can uh, take the place of another word that uh, after time I might find works better or, or just lays better on the tongue as you sing. Uh, so songs are not
1: static. They continue to evolve and grow over time. So your website is dot com, And it pretty much has everything under the sun that you'd ever want to know about you. Right.
3: Uh, well, uh,
1: <laughs> okay. Almost everything.
3: Uh, it, there's a lot of content on it. Uh, <laughs> although it probably needs a good, uh, uh upgrade, uh, and, uh, and tidying up but uh yeah i invite your listeners to visit my website deanfriedman.com uh, or send me an email uh, and if you got uh, uh no plans on sunday uh you can find me on facebook uh, facebook.com dean friedman also dean friedman music and uh, uh join join me for one of the dean's live streams i, I invite uh, friends uh, that are also really talented singers, songwriters, performers, and uh, we have a really fun uh, time.
1: Well, Dean, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us this, this evening. And I wish you all the best. And it's just been a thrill for me because, like I said, Ariel was one of those songs that um, just got me hooked on you when I heard it, um, like I said, last year on satellite radio. And to me, I just think it's it's a great song and it's it's telling a lot of people's lives about how they met that first girl and how they, quote unquote, was able to score with that first girl watching TV (laughs) as the as the 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 uh, station was going off and the fireworks were going off in the background. So again, it's, it is great. It is my pleasure to talk to you this evening. And again, um, I hope to talk to you soon. Good luck with your next crowdsource, your album, and uh, we'll watch you on your uh, next uh, Dean zine program on YouTube or on Facebook. I'm sorry.
3: On both, YouTube and Facebook. Okay. Uh, Just track me down. So, well, thanks for having me, Bill. And uh, uh, everybody be well and take care and uh, catch you down the line.
1: Good luck. And hopefully you'll be back on the the road again touring here real soon.
3: Sounds good. See you then.
1: Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Dean Friedman here online with Bill Alexander. Hope you enjoyed that. I had a blast. It's, it's fun to talk with musicians, especially people that had uh, songs that you're, are um, you're used to listening to <laughs> growing up. And there's one more I want to play for you before we end the show tonight because I think it's a great one. And I got to bring it up here real quick when I find it. I'm just having a heck of a time tonight because, oh, here it is, because I have a new computer. That uh, we are using that we just installed today. And uh, it's it's still me getting used to it. But here we go. We'll be back in just a few moments. But first, here is uh, Dean Friedman with Hellbop, Shebop here online with Bill Alexander.
4: His tip, loose lips, don't spaceships, tiny blips, somebody call the cops. Hail, bop, shabop. Hail, bop, shabop. Little bopy where are your sheep? Fast asleep dreams crash into a stop. Hail, bop, shabop. Hail, bop, shabop. And as we calmly face the countdown to the new millennium, is the age of peace upon us? Or are we hurdling towards oblivion? A twisted psyche, it's Nike waiting for the other shoe to drop. Hail, bop, shabop. Hail, bop, shabop. Hush, hush, don't push back your toothbrush. Bring some cash in case we stop the shop. Hell, Bob Shabbat, hell, Bob Shabbat. Everybody shares a vision, yearns to find a better way. Put your faith in some religion, time to bow your head and pray. Folk rock, rip-off, deck, don't, don't stop, punk, jazz, fusion, alternative, hip-hop. Hell, Bob Shabbat, hell, Bob up Cyberwave, hot tech, Star Trek, holiday, don't forget. To bring you lollipop, hail Bob Bob, hail Bob'sy Bob. Time to fiddle in the meadow, time to wallow in the mire, time to gibble with the gumbo, time to set the world on. Website serving the net on my laptop. Hell, bop, shabop. Hell, bop, shabop. Don't get my pen will reset. Double zeros, take it from the top. Hell, Bob shabop. hail bop, shabop. Now, if you're faced with indecision, if you're puzzled and bitter, if you can't tell with my precision, who's insane and who's insane? Get straight, don't be, it's not too late. There's just one gateway straight to the top. Hell bop shibop, hell bop shibop. It's a new day, that's what they say. Take a seat, drink your soda pop. Hell bop shibop, hell bop shibop, hell bop shibop, hell bop shibop.
1: Online with Bill Alexander, Dean Friedman. Hellbop bop shibop. Here online with Bill Alexander. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I had a great time tonight. Hopefully, you did too. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend because we're available pretty much everywhere, especially online at italknet.com. Again, that's italknet.com. You can also hear us on Monday, Tuesdays, and Fridays at 9 or 10 p.m. I'm sorry, at WMCK.FM, McKeesport. Every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. on WLDJ-FM 107.5 Newcastle. 6 o'clock on Tuesdays on RadioRehoboth.com 91.9 FM. And Mixtape Radio International, Around the World, round the Clock at mtri.co.uk. And that is 10 p.m. Eastern Time in the United States. And we're also on steelfm.org. And we're moving... To a new time there, I guess coming up this week will be on uh, 7 o'clock p.m. in the United Kingdom. And also we're on awakens.eu and we are on Awakens on Tuesdays at noon. So there we are. And uh, if you need to find us, go to my website or find the program, go to my website, italknet.com, because the listing is there also. You can find out when I'm going to be on the air next, which I know you're just holding your breath to figure that out. Because next week on Monday night, we're going to be talking to former DJ, Sean Casey here online with Bill Alexander, former big time New York disc jockey uh, in the seventies will be on the program. He also wrote a song and is performing a song for, uh, Dealing with COVID-19 and the money is, ra- is being raised uh, from the song for the first responders and people that are um, essential workers, which is great. So we're going to be talking to Sean on uh, Monday night, next Monday, the 20th of July. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. It's hard to believe we're almost through the month of July already. Here online with Bill Alexander. Again, that's going to be at 10 o'clock Eastern time. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. Again, remember to check out the website italknet.com or email me at bill at billalexander.net. Again, that's bill at billalexander.net. You can find me on Facebook at Bill Alexander Radio. And you can also find me on Twitter as at bill alexander so remember to stop by remember to say hi because i'm always around and again facebook it is online with bill alexander i'm sorry i just changed that but it's facebook.com online with bill alexander guys i am out of here you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you next week here online with yours truly bill alexander This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com.
2: Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week, and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumpke drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply.
0: If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also is not a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough, they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot.
1: If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the
0: designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com. Your favorite band's about to play a sold out show, and you definitely got tickets and drinks. Now hurry and make it back to your spot. Pass this person and that person about 20 more. Watch out for feet. Just keep going. A little further. Oh, there's your friend. Over here. Right where you want to be. Close enough to see the set list. And they're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.